Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, it feels like we were just doing this a few days ago because we were just doing this a few days ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had like a nice long break from our like bonus cube episode to recording the crash course. And now it's just a few days later. We've got probably, I don't know, a, a dozen or so drafts uh, each under our belts of Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. And we're ready to just do our classic info dump. How have the past few days of drafts been for you? I've been jamming. I'm on 16, baby. Been cranking Ooh, those things out. Look at you go. Yeah, you did like a double duty stream yesterday. Yeah, did did stream A and then did some stuff in the middle of the day and then did stream B last night. It was good. Yeah, and then added to our show notes at 8.59 this morning, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's how it goes. <laughs> I, I want maximum information before I commit to the show notes. That's right. That's right. That's that's good. That's good. Get the most up-to-date information out there as possible. And that is what we're going to be doing today. Uh, just doing our usual like big picture info dump, talking about our feelings about the format. How has Venture gone? How are the dungeons, etc. Look at some specific cards and then re-ranking the top commons in each color, though I think too mostly in agreement, would you say? I think we're mostly in agreement over there. Yeah, I think so for sure. Yeah, so I think most of our thoughts are in line. I think we've got a pretty good spread in terms of uh, what decks each of us have drafted. And so I think we've got a pretty good take on the format so far. So we'll be getting into all that in just a few moments. First things first, though, some housekeeping. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited. There you go. That's the place to go to give back to the show if you so choose. And you get access to... A lot of stuff there, actually, uh, depending on the tier that you give back to. But everybody gets access to the Discord, and we say it each and every week, the best place on the internet for 24-7 limited tech support and the best place to get in at the start of a new format. Ben, have you been utilizing the Discord this time around? I have been mostly checking out the trophy channels, trying to just figure out what's winning and what the decks look like. Yeah, it's a fantastic resource. There's just so much good stuff happening over at the Lords Limited Discord. And like I said, a lot of other good stuff as you move up the ranks of the tiers of rewards on Patreon. So check that out if you're interested. And of course, we want to welcome our new patrons to the fold the first week that they join. Ben, will you join me in welcoming Eduardo? Jeff. John. Brian. Bobby. Evan, Brett, Josh, David, Mark, Paul, Monger, Squimbus, Win Station, baby, <laughs> Jacob, Gary, Matthew, William, and Robert. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough for your support. Really, really appreciate it. And these people know what's up. They're getting in on the Patreon the first week of the format. You should too. Absolutely. Show's also brought to you by Channel Fireball, channelfireball.com, best place to go for anything and everything you need magic related. There's a lot going on at Channel Fireball, obviously, release of a new magic format. Biggest thing is the Adventures in Forgotten Realms release party. We talked about it last week. Um, all the information you could ever want about that is at afrparty.com. I'm going to be playing. Ethan's going to be playing. We're both sponsored by Channel Fireball, and it's the official Wizards digital magic release. So um, Channel Fireball is hosting that. And if you want to get in on the fun, maybe play against me, Ethan, other streamers, afrparty.com. All you need is six packs from your LGS or from Channel Fireball. You know, I think and honestly, I think Channel Fireball is encouraging people to get stuff from your LGS. So um, check that out and join us on Spell Table. Yeah, the other thing going on over at ChannelFireball.com is that we released a monster of an article uh, this past week, Ben, for the release of AFR. Absolutely, yeah. You and I each divvied up the color pairs. So there's a, a breakdown on the CFB Pro side if you're interested in signing up for Pro, $4.99 a month or $9.99, and you get that $9.99 back in store credit. So it's essentially free. Um, but we've got a, a breakdown of all 10 color pairs there and how we expect them to play out. And I think, you know, I would stand by most of what I said in that article after playing for a few days. Yeah, so far so good. Um, but we'll see how that shakes out over the, the coming weeks for sure. So if you're getting anything over at Channel Fireball, whether it's a pro membership or sealed product, please use code LOL, all caps, to let them know that we sent you over there. Last thing is that we've got merch over at TeePublic. We've partnered with TeePublic to get uh, t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, buttons, cell phone cases, anything and everything you could want with our Lords Limited logo on there. Check it out at TeePublic. You can check that out on our website, lordslimited.com. There's a merch tab at the top. There's also our tier list is updated now. So if you want to check out our adventures in the Forgotten Realms tier list, that's on our website as well. Uh, go to lordslimited.com, click on the tier list tab, and that'll take you there. Powered by 17lands.com. Yep, that will be up to date from our playings from the first four or five days after you check it out listening to this episode. All right. Let's dive right in. Big picture discussions slash approaches to the format. Where are we at, Ben? It's kind of a core set in sheep's clothing, honestly, I think. Yeah, I think so. A core set in modality clothing and dice rolling clothing, however you want to put it. But I agree. I do think this feels very core set-esque to me. Yeah. And I think so as a result of that, you know, people have been asking me, you know, they always pop in the streams. I'm sure the same thing happens to you. Like, what's good in the format? What do you think about the format? Is it fun? And, you know, like as far as 
what matters in the format. Like my current strategy in the format is you really want stats. Like you want good creatures. You want to affect the board, you know, to, to borrow a limited resources term. I think it's very much a cabs format. Mm-hmm. So you want creatures that have good power and toughness for the amount of mana you're spending. And I think past that, you really want efficient removal spells to interact with your opponent's creatures. And then you want ways to get card advantage. And I think in that order, those are the three things that matter most in the format. I agree. And I think that's caused you and I, and I think a lot of other, you know, sharp drafters out there to, you know, bump up those efficient, you know, two drops that exist, the 2-2 lifelinker in white, the 3-1 with pack tactics in red. Um, Those are really strong cards. And I think to bump down some of the removal spells that I had at the top of my commons list last week, like Charm sleep and minimus containment charm sleep especially has has fallen minimus containment as well as down just because if those two drops are the things that matter a lot of the time and i I do think they do then your three mana removal spells that aren't that great or that your three mana removal spells that are a little clunky that don't even actually kill the thing that are trading down on mana those i think have to then go down in your pick order yeah absolutely agree and i think you know once you've got creatures, you've got your removal spells, you've got your card advantage. Other things that you're doing have to be pretty sweet, I think, to get away from that recipe. And there are really sweet things to do. I mean, there's treasure floating around. I think you can use that treasure to splash a lot of good cards. And there are a lot of powerful rares and mythics floating around as well. Yep. But it's just so much less consistent draft in and draft out, I think, to do sweet, powerful things like that rather than just affect the board. And, you know, hopefully once the world, you know, starts drafting in this fashion a little bit more, the format will get slightly less aggressive and maybe we'll open the door for some of those other things to happen. But just for example, a card like Shusra Death's Whisper, which is the green black uncommon, it's two black green for a one three that like does some stuff on ETB. It just doesn't pull its weight as a one three that costs four mana. Like I don't think there's room for cards like that in the format currently the way it's being drafted in best of one. Yeah, I, I agree. I think especially that card is, is quite niche in terms of its applications. There's quite a bit of setup for the ETB, something has to block. And then, you know, you really don't want to be in a spot or if you are in a spot where you can do the second thing, which is if a creature died, you can pay two life to draw a card. You're paying life to accrue a resource advantage, but that life being paid, as long as these aggro decks are preying on you, especially in best of one on arena, that's going to be a cost that I don't think you can pay a lot of the time. Right. And compare that to something like Brunor Battlehammer, the red, white, gold uncommon, which is four mana for a five, three compared to a one, three and yeah. gives you your first equip for free a turn, which gives you essentially like two or three mana, you know, for most equipment. That's absurd, right? Brunor Battlehammer is just worlds better than Shesra Death's Whisper. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, we were talking about the sweet things to do. And I think that the first thing we want to revisit is our thoughts about venture and the three dungeons. Yeah, I think. You know, I've been experiencing this a lot on stream, and I'm curious if you have as well. But people keep coming in and wanting an easy answer to dungeons. Like, what's the default dungeon to go into? Which dungeon should I go into every time? Like, it's not that to me. I think you can split them up into some broad categories and give guidelines, but you really are going to have to make decisions based on the state of the game that you're in. So here's what I've been thinking, and I'm curious as to your thoughts as well. But Tomb of Annihilation, I think, is very risky to go into. It's by far the most aggressively slanted dungeon. And I think if you're very confident that you're the beatdown and that is unlikely to change, you should go into Tomb of Annihilation. And I think that's the best one to go in if you're confident that's true. If you're not sure if that's true, my default has been going into the Lost Mine. And I think that's the closest you can get to giving someone a default. But even there, there's two paths to choose from, right? There's like a slightly more aggressive path where you get a goblin and a plus one, plus one counter. Or there's a more defensive path where you get a treasure and you can give something minus four, minus oh. So just based on what you need in the game, you're going to have to make decisions. And I think past that, Dungeon of the Mad Mage, you know, has seven levels. You have to be venturing a lot before you complete Dungeon of the Mad Mage. It's hard, I think, with the pace of the games currently to even complete Lost Mine. Yeah, I think I agree with that. So I just want to zoom out a little bit before we then go back into each of these dungeons and take a look at what's going on there is that, you know, I was thinking about venture being kind of similar to learn lesson. And that's also probably a product of just coming off of Strixhaven and thinking about that sort of like, you know, I don't know, card advantage thing or being able to, you know, affect the game or accrue advantage without having to draft something or put it in your deck. But it's much more of a specific strategy, I think, and concentrated in the Esper colors than it is something that's like prevalent across all five colors and all 10 color pairs. Yes, I completely agree. You either want to be venturing and venturing often as much as you possibly can, or it's honestly pretty trinket texty 
in most color pairs that aren't doing it hard. Because it's not really like if you just have like three things in your deck that venture, you know, you're often paying more for that effect, right? If we think about precipitous drop being three mana for minus two, minus two, but you venture and then if you've completed a dungeon, it's minus five, minus five instead. That's a three mana dead weight if you don't venture that much, right? If you only have a few instances of venture in your deck, that's an overcosted dead weight and you don't really get that value like scry one, get a one, one goblin. If that's all you're really going to be able to do, it's not that good. Yes, I agree completely. I do think if you can pretty reliably venture twice, sometimes knowing that you can get a treasure is worth doing. But even then, like if you're reliably venturing twice, you're probably going to be able to reliably venture four times. Right, for sure. I have found repeatable venture to be great and to be a plan. So dungeon map, I think is fantastic. I've really been impressed by this card. This is the three mana mana rocket uncommon that you can also pay three tap it to venture as a sorcery. I don't have much experience with or against that yet myself uh, I, I i've played with it a few times i've liked it quite a bit there's there's a handful of the other cards that can do it like over and over like ranger's hawk the one mana one one flyer pay three tap it tap another creature to venture and even ben i gotta i gotta give it up to you here you you had 50 feet of rope pretty high i talked you down on it I think 50 feet of rope has been pretty darn good. I have used both the keep a thing tapped mode on it, the three tap, keep a thing tapped, or also four tap venture quite a bit. Like if you can venture multiple times a turn in these like venture or like, you know, what are, what are we calling them? Like uh, speed run dungeon decks, I think, as some people have been terming them. It's really, really powerful. Yeah, I have gotten to the point where you ventured twice in a turn a couple times, and that's where it feels really powerful. I, I have not ventured with a ranger's hawk yet i have been beating down with my little birds yeah i mean as as i think no one will be surprised ben has more experience with the aggressive deck so far and i think i have more experience with the sweet decks so far (laughs) but that's a good that's a good yin and yang to bring to the podcast um i think if you're not doing like the hyper aggro stuff if you're facing if you're doing some sort of mid-rangey thing and you're facing a deck that ventures consistently and you can't it's so hard to compete in the mid to late game you know we had a matchup in unfortunately a showdown video that got scrapped but you had you drafted this really really sweet black white value venture deck and i just couldn't do anything right you just like got to a point in the game where you were doing so many sweet things and getting so much value from all of your cards and venturing and completing dungeons and whatever that i just couldn't keep up yes that deck was super absurd that's probably the best deck i've drafted so far but i think Decks like that are few and far between, like drafting and out to come together. Yes. Well, I think it's largely because a lot of the repeatable things that are good, like the map or the 50 feet of rope are uncommon. And, you know, you also then you have to assemble a lot of pieces to make it work. But I think that's what the venture deck is. And then otherwise, I think you don't want to be like we've just said, I don't think trinkety venture stuff tacked on to other things is what you want. And then you just end up with a handful of, you know, things that are worth, I don't know, a quarter of a card. And it's just not good because you want to be able to get to that like, oh, I completed a dungeon and now my cloister gargoyle is a 3-4 or whatever. Right. I have been a little worried to put cards like dungeon map and 50 feet of rope in my decks just because I'm a little worried about the speed of the format. When you were playing those cards, do you feel like you had to make concessions to try to get the game to stall out to where you could get to the point where you had mana to activate those every turn? Um, Making concessions in what way? Just like making sure you were, you know, stopping Hobgoblin captains from attacking and killing you or whatever. Like, how are you, how are those decks working out? And were you picking dungeon map and 50 feet of rope pretty highly in those decks? Yeah, I think one time I've first picked dungeon map just because I think it's it's strong slash sort of flexible in that like it's good in an Esprit shell. Yeah, I mean, you just need defensive speed, right? If you're trying to do that late game stuff, you have to understand that aggro decks exist and like three precipitous drops are really going to help you, right? That's where precipitous drop shines is because it can take out those aggressive two drops and is progressing your venture dungeon game plan as well right and i think there's it's an interesting thing to talk about while we're here on venture and dungeon i think first of all just if you're planning to not play aggro you need to understand that hobgoblin captain is the way the aggro decks are going to be attacking you so you need to have a plan for how you're going to deal with that card precipitous drop definitely does that but just zooming out i was sort of coming into the format under the idea that the best ways to repeatedly venture were attacking like cards like yuan t fang blade or the three three flyer that you know gets a venture on attacks and i'm sort of wondering if that's maybe not the case how do you feel about that do you feel like white black white blue those sort of things are more defensive and want to venture repeatedly with dungeon map and things or is there are there two different flavors what are your thoughts on all that because i I don't know yeah i think 
white decks that are interested in being control eventually, I think don't want to attack. I think like the four mana three, four that ETBs and ventures, that's good. I think you want to just like hole up, get your defenses down and then whatever your map, your 50 feet of rope, your Hawk. Those are the things that are then your mana sinks. And that's how you're repeatably venturing while you're, you know, holding down the ground or whatever against your aggressive opponents. And then I think there's the blue black flavor, which we'll get to in a bit. Cause I like that deck, the blue black unblockable deck. I think that is an attacking venture deck or an attacking accrue value deck, either with, you know, sneaking through your three, two that draws a card when it hits your opponent or your one T or your two, five that ventures when it hits your opponent. So I think there's like two flavors and I think that's where they exist. Okay, cool. Um, So looking at the specific dungeons just a little bit, I, I think I agree that lost mine of Fandelver, you know, if people want the easy answer. I do think that is across the board, the one that I go to almost always, just because the immediate scry is most often beneficial. And then getting a one one to follow that up. That's usually my thing because I want to affect the board. And then I also want to get to I've completed a dungeon quickly if I have anything that that cares about that in my deck. Right. Yes, I've made the mistake of going into Mad Mage when I thought I had a lot of venturing one time, but I forgot I had cards that cared about dungeon completion. So even then, I still think you're probably going to lost mine first. But honestly, if you ventured seven times, the game should already be over. Yeah, (laughs) I have in in one of these decks and one game I had completed lost mine once dungeon of the mad mage twice and was about to complete tomb of annihilation before my opponent conceded that is impressive yeah it was uh some some value train there so you were just turtled up then with a with a dungeon map or something absolutely turtled up and activating like map and 50 feet of rope every turn (laughs) just that's the game of magic i want to play baby um I was watching Sam Black stream the other night and he was doing this thing and he was just sort of thinking like, oh, venture is fixing because if I venture enough, then I know that or if I have enough venture, I know that my second venture will always get me a treasure. And I thought that was a really interesting way to think about it. You can also think about like triggering your life gain stuff. Like, is there enough ways of gaining life? Well, if you think about it, gaining a life is always the first part of Dungeon of the Mad Mage. And so, you know, you'll always have that trigger if you have venture. So I think there there are ways to think about these dungeons that goes beyond that where that does start to feel like a little learn lesson to me it's like well i always have access to this because all of my venture can be gain a life or can be get a treasure you know yes i agree i think there's a lot of room there but again that's going to require critical thinking about your deck and what you want is ultimately the bottom line lesson from me here for people yeah so and tomb of annihilation we talked about is you know it's awesome if you're ahead and venturing consistently or else it's pretty darn terrible it can also just be like you know you're not venturing that much or whatever but you do have that incidental thing and so your opponent loses a life maybe you that's the one i think if you're aggressive you don't really care about completing it you do care about just like pressing your advantage just a little bit if you're ahead on board and that can also happen in these all-in venture decks as well you just you're on the play and you find yourself ahead on board and then you're like oh maybe this is the one i'm supposed to go to instead yeah i think if you're ever certain you want to close the game out you go to the tomb but it's hard to be certain of that <laughs> yeah for sure and then lastly dungeon of the mad mages is that's really only for the all-in venture decks because it does not only is it so many levels but it really takes until you get to that like scry two which is what four levels deep for it to really be doing its thing yes and i mean i think the rewards there certainly are better if you have something like hama pashar which is the blue white uncommon i mean certainly you're getting more bang for your buck on double triggers in dungeon of the mad mage but right still i mean there's things to consider there about whether or not you care about completing dungeons where are you at in terms of number of lands so far i have almost always been running 17 even in aggro decks because a lot of the aggro decks want equipment and there just are mana sinks in the format Mm -hmm. and so i think you want to hit land drops you can run 16 i have not put 18 in a deck yet i've done a couple 18 landers that the aforementioned all in venture deck with like i think i had double hawk dungeon map 50 feet of rope that was an 18 lander i have run like a an aggro blue black tempo deck but because of all the like oh i want to be moving around my equipment whatever yeah there, there's a ton of mana sinks i've not done 16 yet i have done mostly 17 and, a, and 18 a few times where are you at on main decking modal disenchant stuff you were coming in pretty hot about you find a cursed idol being main deckable that sort of thing yeah i i think it is pretty important to have access to something like this in the main deck or in your best of one deck like you find a cursed idol or portable hole it feels bad to like not be able to interact with a class enchantment or equipment or whatever and something like 
you find a cursed idol. I think if you care about the treasure or venturing at all, which is sometimes your green decks will, depending on, on what's going on, I think that fail case isn't so bad. So I don't know. I have found you very, very often will have targets for cards like these. I agree. I think rather than you find a cursed idol, I would prefer if I mean, obviously, it's color dependent. But I think the one in a white one three that ETBs to gain two life second enchantment. Yeah, yeah, or whatever that one that blows up an enchantment on ETB is very good as well as the beholder has done work as well. The four black black six five. Yeah, it can make someone second enchantment on ETB. Like those are the ones that I have I have wanted a little more than you find a cursed idol. And then regarding portable hole, that card's just bonkers good, right? I mean, it's, yeah, it's a like solid a B. solid B. Yeah. 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 The other one I think to mention is the the three mana two two in red that either blows up an artifact or makes a treasure. I think that's also a really good one to have access to. Yeah, that card's gotten me so many times and I keep it's so hard for me to bump my evaluation of that card up. And it's better. I just need to start putting it in my deck. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Speaking of really good, the class cards in general have all felt better than I expected. And I think I was like too low. Then we talked about it in the crash course. I came up and I'm still even going up and up and up on basically all of them. Yeah, they're very strong. I've been very impressed with the class cards. And that's part of why cards like that one three or the beholder, you know, are good because the class cards are good and high picks and powerful. And those are common creatures that interact with them. Yeah, for sure. Well, what what have been your favorite deck? Or, or decks you think are the best so far? I've been really impressed by the red decks. I, I think I'm coming along with the community consensus on red being the best color. I think I'm a little less hot to trot on red than the rest of the world is, but I think it's good. And I think it is the best, but maybe by slightly less of a margin than what I've been hearing from, from Twitch chat and Twitter. But I think, you know, those red decks, I've been very impressed with red black. I think that's my favorite deck to draft and play so far. I think there's just a lot going on in red black, which is exciting because I think a lot of the other color pairs are pretty linear. So red black can kind of be steel and sack with sepulcher ghoul and the active treason effect price of loyalty. But then there's also just a lot of other good sack outlets besides sepulcher ghoul, right? There's the, the one in a black instant that can let you sack a creature or an artifact to draw to and make a treasure. Deadly dispute. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Scryfall 101 here yeah. with Ethan Sacks. <laughs> uh, deadly, there's deadly dispute. There's the uncommon Skullport merchant. Is that the name of it? Yeah, oh my god, Sailor of Means. Yeah, that card's great. It's two and a black for a 1-4, makes a treasure on ETB, and then you can sacrifice an artifact or a creature, which primarily I was thinking of it as a treasure sacking thing, but then when I had Price of Loyalty, I realized it was also another sack outlet for my opponent's creatures. So there's just a lot going on there. Plus, there's the treasure thing, and I think the treasure thing's real. And then there's also going even deeper and using the treasure thing with a red-black base to splash powerful cards so i i really liked red black quite a bit and then red white i think has been super awesome and i think you have that as one of the top decks as well yeah i haven't played it yet i honestly haven't played much red Su surprise surprise i guess i don't i think it's probably just because i'm like interested in doing other sweet things but yeah I, i've been very impressed by red white decks and i gotta say like i feel like usually even you know if you think about call time thinking about the ratio of like creatures to creature augmentations is always i think a tricky thing to balance but it has felt like my opponents can just run like seven equipment have you found that to be the case yeah i think the default is wanting somewhere in the five to seven equipment range in the red white deck that's crazy I and mean, you're just like not really prioritizing interaction that much well you want dragon's fires and i think that's the interaction you want maybe a minimus containment but five to seven might be much maybe it's four to six but i think you know the red equipment and especially those equipment that sort of double as combat tricks with flash those are just premium yeah the plus two plus oh i've also been impressed by the the boots of speed the plus one plus oh in haste boots is so good i i saw the light on boots yesterday yeah that card has been very impressive it's really hard like because there's a lot of times where you like stabilize against that deck but then they have the boots in play and you just like it's a game of chicken almost of like, you know, do I want to roll the dice here? No pun intended for AFR, but like, do I want to just, you know, attack him with this creature? And then if they top deck something, I'm dead. If it, what, what, they, what if it's a flyer? What if it's something with trample? Like, it's really hard to play around that. Yeah, boots is the best common equipment for that deck. And it would not yes. have been intuitive for me for that to be the case going in. But def boots is definitely the best common equipment for that deck. What else have you been playing? I have really liked the blue black unblockable deck. I I've also liked red black quite a bit, but I I've played... I think black probably the most. And I like all four black decks quite a bit. I think some of them are a little less intuitive, some more intuitive. Like black white, I think, wants to be generally all in venture. That's like your best venture deck. Um, but the blue black unblockable deck is really, really sweet. 
Thieves Tools is by far my biggest overperformer since the crash course. That's the one in a black equipment. It comes into play, makes a treasure, has an equip cost of two. And as long as equipped creatures power is three or less, it's unblockable. And there's just so many sweet cards that want to get in for some, you know, some amount of damage to touch your opponent, like the, sh- the spy in blue, the three, two, that draws a card or the two, five that ventures in blue or the one thing blade, the two, two with death touch that ventures when it attacks like that is really, really a fun deck. And I think Cridal, the uncommon is just like, that's everything that that deck is trying to do um, in a, in a, a blue black shell there. So I've, I've been really happy with that deck. Sweet. Yeah. I think the, the only other one that I've really been crazy impressed by that, that we've talked about is red green. And again, there's just like great stats, right? The red gets you the early game and the dragon's fires and helps you bridge the gap to, you know, green's owlbears, which is the 4-4 trample ETB draw card or the hill giant herdgorger, which is the 7-6 gain three. And both of those cards are just bigger than everything else in the format, I think, for the most part, and generally tend to end the game if you if you can get to that point in the game. The tricky part is getting there. Yeah, for sure. And I think beyond blue black, I think blue is pretty bad i i don't think blue green or blue white are very good they might might be my least favorite decks in the format so far and like blue red dice roll we've we were talking about this before we recorded has felt like i've had a blue red deck and it had some turns that were insane some games that were insane were just felt like absolute blowouts but that is really like a column a column b deck like a payoffs and enablers deck and if you don't draw your payoffs or if your payoffs get killed you can't really function with that deck Right, like Feywild, you're pretty in on Feywild Trickster, which is the two and a blue 2-2 that whenever you roll dice, you get a 1-1 flying fairy token, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, That and Ferida, which is the blue-red uncommon, which is a 3-3 and gets flying menace when you roll a dice, but you have to roll 10 or higher to draw a card, which you definitely want pixie guides for, which is the one and a blue 1-3 that lets you roll additional dice. Like, if those things die, you're just left with a bunch of bad dice rolling blue and red cards, which is not a good place to be. Like, I've played that deck a couple times, and I was really excited to try it out. And I had a similar experience where when you go off, you go off hard and you win really hard. But I basically am hoping to not play that deck anymore at this point in the format, which feels bad. But I think that's where the format's at for me is that's just not enough stats per mana spent. And I think the format is about stats per mana spent and removal and just like affecting the board. And there's just not a lot of room for fun, sweet stuff like that. Yeah, I agree. So how have you been navigating drafts in the format? Are you like, you know, grabbing that gold on common and holding on for dear life or what's going on? I've been willing to take the gold on commons that are good pretty highly, like that lead to the best decks. I think like Brunor is a super high pick and potentially worth holding on to because I think white and red are pretty deep. Yeah. And people are under drafting it right now. And Brunor is just absurd. Once you have something, you know, like even a plus two mace, if you're getting to equip that for free, it's so much tempo and value in addition to just being a great statted creature. So that sort of thing. Generally, I've been taking, I mean, it's nothing earth shattering, right? <laughs> like I've been taking good cards. I think you try to take the best cards because there are a lot of powerful good cards. Advice. Yeah, good advice. <laughs> and I, I do think, you know, on the Prince Popper thing, I, I would say it's a popper format for sure. But there are random rares that just totally ruin games. Yeah, probably a bit too many, at least, or maybe I've ran into a bit too many. I have definitely felt like uh, uh, more than a fair share of my games have been invalidated at some point by, by you know, busted rares or, or some strong uncommons. But yeah, I agree. Like the tools are there at common to compete for sure. Right. And I think the format is is pretty fast and i think the the speed of the format you know i like this is pushing on zendikar fast for me right now and again maybe it's going to slow down once people start contesting the aggro cards but it is real fast right now but anyway so back to drafts i think you know you take those good cards and then a lot of times i found myself like trying to decide between two of three colors you know like i'm deep in one color and towing the line between two other colors because i do think you know as far as, you know, drafting decks and cards and things like that you're trying to draft decks but once you get into a deck it's pretty academic as for which cards you want. I do think you can follow pick orders a little bit more because the the set's just more straightforward, right? There are like kind of delineations of, okay, this is better than this, is better than this. Yeah, and I do think like in terms of how to draft, it feels similar to Strixhaven for me. Like I'm not, 
I, I like I said, I don't really like blue, but I'm not on ready to on day four be like, look, I'm not drafting any blue decks, you know, <laughs> so I'm still not avoiding stuff like that. So if I see whatever a Farida pick six, pick seven, that might be something that I jump ship for and try and see, oh, well, is blue red the open deck for my seat? Uh, sometimes, you know, you you start off with Cridal and blue black is open and that's great. Or sometimes you have to pivot late for whatever. But I, I have definitely found like reading signals and finding the open lane is important so far. Yes, I have found myself switching and abandoning picks often, I think, because you get yeah. so rewarded for finding the open colors, because if the colors open, it's largely going to continue to stay open. But then there are random cards that like you really want to hold on to, too. I don't know. It's been it's been I have enjoyed the draft navigation process much more than I have the gameplay. Shocking. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. And I do think like hashtag delay the decision is important for, you know, I think sometimes I've ended pack one with like, all right, I have three to four cards of three colors. And so I'm trying to figure out which of those two I'm going to end up playing. Or then at a certain point, I just get deep in one color or we talked about like jumping ship for an uncommon or whatever. Um, So you want to make sure I think that you're you're bobbing and weaving in that way. That has been, I think, more often than not the way my drafts have gone. Yes, I am not trying to cut a color like that has not ever entered my mind once. I don't think in a draft in this format. No, not at all. But it's not like something like call time where the power level of the commons is flat, right? There, There is power at common for sure. Oh, yeah, definitely. And just so we've been talking a lot about colors and what's good decks and things like that. I mean, I know you're not as into color rankings and rankings in general as I am. But I think my my color power rankings right now on day four, as you said, would go red is better than white is better than like black and green kind of tied and then like a pretty significant gap and then blue. Yeah, the, the only thing I, that I feel strongly about is the blue is the worst color. Um, and I have liked black a lot. But I, like I said, I haven't played red nearly enough to have a sense of it. But it does seem like that is the consensus best color among the community. All right, that takes us into some individual cards to revisit here. Talk to me about your baby warlock class. You mean lava axe? Um, <laughs> yeah, I have been going on a like Twitter rant about warlock class. Uh, so this is single black for the class enchantment. Level one is at the beginning of your end step. If a creature died this turn, your opponent loses a life. Level two is you look at the top three cards of your library. You pick one, put it into your hand, put the other two into your graveyard. And then level three, which costs a whopping seven mana says at the beginning of your end step your opponent loses life equal to the amount of life they lost this turn so how i've been talking about this is like the front side is basically anticipate right it's very low cost one mana to play two mana to level up to just like look at the top three grab one and then all of a sudden at some point in the late game when you have seven mana you dump it into this and your opponent is basically dead or like has to you know think about oh how much damage can I take? I'm at 13 here, but if they attack me for this and sack a creature and something dies, like they stack the triggers and you can just really, you know, get some oops, I win moments. Now, part of that is I don't think people are reading this card. So I think part of my success with this card so far <laughs> is people just like not understanding how it works. But I also think just like the low, low, low setup cost of this card for the late game potential of, oh, my gosh, this is like really going to swing the game or I have to play differently around this makes it a really high pick for me. Right. Well, you're essentially drawing two, right? You're drawing the one of the top three, whatever you need. And then you're also mm -hmm. drawing threat of activation, which is awesome. Right. And the thing is about it is like you don't it's not like it doubles the damage. Right. So what you get to do is you get to make your attack. And then if you want to kill your opponent, your opponent like doesn't block correctly or whatever, then you just get to kill them with the activation. And if not, then maybe you do something else with your mana, right? It's not like you have to activate it before you attack or whatever. Yes, it's very powerful. Next on this list, I have been super impressed with this card, and I thought it was terrible going into the format. This Horde Robber, it's one in a black for a 1-3, and whenever it deals damage to opponent, you make a treasure. So it's like pickaxe all over again. This card is very scary when it comes down on turn two on the play. Yeah, like I've had my opponents respect this in like to an insane degree, like leaving back a bunch of stuff like they don't want to they don't want to attack their three one into me because they're afraid of me hitting them for one and then making a treasure, you know, um, and this is another really great piece of the puzzle when you have thieves tools. Yeah, I think really good in blue, black and red, black, and I think probably playable in black, white. And, yeah. and green black, but I have really liked Horde Robber. Good two drop. Here's another great uncommon Reaper's Talisman. This is the single black equipment. It has an equip cost of two. Uh, whenever equipped creature attacks, it gets death touch. And if it attacks alone, your opponent loses two life and you gain two life. This is like 
very hard to race. The wombo combo of this with Thieves Tools, can you tell I've drafted Thieves Tools a lot? Um, <laughs> just makes the thing unblockable, so you're just draining for two every turn. That's a really great way to combat the aggro decks, because like you don't really want to attack with a bunch of stuff, so you're leaving back your other things, and then you're getting in with this unblockable drain two card. It's so good. I agree. It's been very powerful. I have a hard time settling on when to pick it so i'm gonna throw some picks at you here since you've you've played with it more than i have so would you take reaper's talisman or dragon fire pack one pick one talisman okay how about i think i think it is better if that's the best common which i think it is i do think it is better than that but that could be wrong like i haven't played a lot of red right i might get some some people clapping back at me about that i don't know because I'm, I'm really curious and i'm not trying to like throw you under the bus here or anything like i just am trying to solidify it for myself because i've seen it and i've played with it once and i had some bad experiences with it my opponents have had great experiences with it. So I don't know. I'm just trying to dial in on where it might be. So you think <laughs> it's among the top uncommons then? Probably. I don't know. I, I would grade it a solid B right now. Okay, cool. All right. I've sung Thieves Tools praises enough. Talk to me about your boy Hobgoblin Captain. It's so good. It's, so this is one in red for the 3-1 and has pack tactics. Uh, so if you attacked with six power or more, it gains first strike. And it is three of that six. So you only need three other power and also nicely two hobgoblin captains trigger pack tactics for each other it's just the default aggressive card in the format so i think you know if you're not being aggressive you need to have a plan for dealing with this one of the best ways to blanket is circle the moon druid i found that's mm. the tuna green that's a four two on your turn or a two four on your opponent's turn that can definitely brick wall this card but there's a couple just nuts curves with hobgoblin captain you can curve it into hulking bugbear which is super good, which is the one red, red, three, three haste. And that triggers pack tactics on Hobgoblin Captain then. Also, if you play turn one boots of speed, which is the red equipment that's single red and then has an equip cost of one equipped creature gets plus one plus oh and has haste. You can go boots into Hobgoblin Captain into Hobgoblin Captain equip boots. And then you're attacking with two hasty Hobgoblin Captains, which is also just an insanely powerful start. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, on, on the flip side of things, the perhaps less aggressive side of things, I have been impressed by Sylvan Shepherd. This is the two and a green, two, three vigilance. When it attacks, you roll a d20. And I think one through nine, you gain one, uh, 10 through 19, you gain two. And if you roll nat 20, you gain three life. That's been an impressive follow up to Trellisara on curve. That's the green, white, uncommon that cares about gaining life, gets a counter, and then you scry one. I don't know. Like, I just found the two, three body to be something that I'm like, ah, like, do I really want to double block this with two two twos? How much life can I let them gain? It has been, I thought this was just like a junky replaceable thing. And I think it might be a bit of a role player. Interesting. Yeah. And I think, you know, speaking of bodies and how stats line up, I think it's important to be aware if you want to block that like one threes and two threes are not going to get the job done, right? Because they can't block Hobgoblin Captain. You either need cheap removal or things with for toughness if you want to block like a, a one three is not a relevant blocker in this format yeah i mean and then you could be like well i'm gonna double block with my two one threes on the three one first striker but you're just like signing yourself up to get blown out yes so i guess like if people are spending a lot of their creature augmentation stuff on equipment and not so much tricks which i have sort of found to be the case they're not a ton of tricks floating around like maybe people are playing the you know plus two plus two trample untap trick in green but i'm not seeing like a ton of tricks in white it is sort of awkward that you see something on watch or you hear something on watch like gives them a removal spell plus a combat trick that is like really powerful that card is really good yeah i have liked that card quite a bit uh your buddy hama pashar ruin seeker this is the one blue white two three at uncommon it doubles your ventures i splashed this in that that black white venture deck i talked about and holy cow it was ridiculous i'm not sure that blue white is a good deck. And so I don't I think this will probably just end up being splashed in black white a lot more or or maybe splashed in blue black a lot more. But it's if you are venturing a lot, this is a card you want. Sweet. Bag of holding is up next. This is a uh, one mana for an artifact that got downshifted from rare. It's two tap, discard a card to draw a card, and then eventually you can pay four tap and like draw all of the cards that you discarded with it because you have to exile them when you discard them. So I have found this to be a good value engine. It's not insane in the format, mostly because I think the speed of the format just doesn't leave you a lot of time to go like two mana tap, draw a card, discard a card. I think it's 
best in decks that have a lot of point and click removal, you know, where you're trying to trade one for one and then accrue card advantage, like with this being the way that you ultimately get ahead of your opponent. But past that, I don't think it's insane, but it is very powerful in the right style of deck. Do you think it's like worth pack one pick wanting and trying to go into that style of deck? Or do you think it's something you'd rather like stumble upon once you're in that deck? Oh, God, no, I would I would get bag of holding a C. A C. Okay. Interesting. I've sort of fallen out of favor with Charm Sleeps. This is one blue blue for the aura. Tap a creature it doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. The, the double blue on it has felt awkward. Like we talked about it being a three mana thing that trades down on mana against the aggro two drops in the format. There is like, you know, a good bit of bounce. And and if people are playing the artifact or enchantment removal um, that, that is tacked on to some other stuff. I don't know. I'm just not into this card that much. Agree. I am totally off Charmed Sleep. A card that has risen in my estimation is Air Cult Elemental. This is the six mana two five flyer ETBs bounces a creature your opponent controls. It's felt pretty darn good as top end for a tempo deck. Like I have liked one or two of these in my six drop slot in my blue black tempo decks. Yeah, I've only played it once, but it is kind of a grown tester when your opponents have it and they bounce something that you've gotten some plus one plus one counters on or have some equipment on, it can be a pretty backbreaking tempo hit against the aggro decks. And importantly, that five toughness just blocks really well. Yeah, for sure. So have you been putting it as an aggro tempo card or a defensive thing? I think both, but I don't think I mean, if, if I think blue black is blue's best and perhaps only good deck that I think wants to play out like a tempo deck. And so, yeah, I would say it's tempo top end rather than like defensive top end. Okay, cool. Another card that I just want to talk about has an interesting application is Tiger Tribe Hunters. This is the five mana four, four trample in red at uncommon and it has pack tactics when it attacks. If you attacked with six or more power, you get to sacrifice a creature and have that creature deal damage to another creature equal to its power. This is another sack outlet for the steel and sack deck, which I didn't realize. And it's a huge blowout when you get to do it. Yeah, I realized that accidentally because I was drafting red black and had to pivot out of it into red white and then still like barely made playable. So I had to run the price of loyalty or whatever it's called. Mm -hmm. What's it called? It is called price of loyalty. Oh, dear. Wow. That was like that was a total guess. (laughs) (laughs) And I had to run that and I was like, whoa, I still get to do the thing. This is awesome. Yeah. And and it's insane, right? Because you're it's basically turns price of loyalty into a two for one. You steal their creature and then sack it and shoot down another one of their creatures. It's yeah. wildly good. Very powerful. I have been very impressed. We've talked about this a little bit, but Baleful Beholder has been good. It's the four black black six five, which is just large for black and large in the format. And then, you know, targeting class enchantments with that is a huge blowout. And the giving all your creatures menace has been relevant as well. I've been very impressed with Baleful Beholder as just like top end filler, but I think good top end filler. For sure. Well, the fact that it's so flexible and like you talked about, it's big. And so it matches up well against the biggest boy, which is Herd Gorger, Hill Giant Horde Gorger. So having that be a 6-5 that can trade with the 7-6 is also really good. Right. And being bigger than Owlbear has been relevant as well. Yeah. Why does Black get such a big boy? I don't know. Next up is the equipment. I have had quite a bit of experience with equipment. So just to, to kind of categorize it for people so that you can avoid going through some of the missteps that I have. So just in general, plus two mace, that's the two mana equip three plus two plus two. There's Delver's Torch. That's the two mana equip three plus one plus one and venture on attacks. Neither of those are very good, nor are they very important for the red white equipment deck. I just think they're barely playable in the format, like filler-esque. I think you're hoping to not run them. I think a general heuristic just has to be equip three is too much. Like unless proven otherwise, unless you're getting something like wildly good, the difference between equip one to equip two and equip two to equip three is not one mana, right? It's just like an order of magnitude larger. Yes. So I think on those lines in the red-white equipment deck, Boots of Speed is the best one, and we've talked about that. I've also been very impressed with Dueling Rapier, which is the single red flash equipped creature gets plus two plus oh. It's just really good to push through pack tactics quicker, as well as, you know, on the there's a one and a white three one that when it's equipped gets plus oh plus two. It's really good as a combat trick on that. Like I think you basically can't block that three one as you know the defending player because you have to assume your opponent could have dueling rapier there's also paladin shield that gives plus o plus two for one and a white with flash that one is significantly less good than dueling rapier i think because it doesn't boost power so i think that the two equipment you want the most of are boots and speed and dueling rapier at common and then dipping into the uncommon plate armor is absurd that's one of the best uncommons in the set i think maybe the 
best uncommon. It's really close to that. Whoa. It's two and a white, equip three plus three plus three, and it costs one less to equip for each other equipment you control. Just totally ridiculous. So you can get that down to equip zero, right? I think so, yeah. That is unbelievable. Yeah, that card has been an absolute house. Uh, we talked a little bit about Circle of the Moon Druid. This is the three mana, two, four in green, but on your turn, it's a four, two stats are just super great. They line up really well in the format and notably it will die to precipitous drop, just not on your turn, right? You you give it minus two, minus two, and then on your opponent's turn, it'll turn into a four, two and die, which I didn't quite realize. Next up is Lightfoot Rogue. This is one in a black uncommon for a two, one. And when it attacks, you roll a D20 and it can gain like death touch, plus one, plus oh, death touch, plus one, plus oh, death touch and first strike on a crit of a roll of 20. Card looks like it should be good. Like it's an uncommon with a lot of text and it's really bad. Like it's just, it just trades with everything. People have goblin tokens running around from the Lost Mine of Fandelver, and it just doesn't do anything on defense. It's only an aggressive card, and it's not even a good aggressive card. Right, and I'm not sure that black, outside of blue-black, I mean, I guess black-red can. Black black can play an aggressive game quite well, I guess. But yeah, I, I agree, that card is just junk. Well, I don't even think it's a good aggressive card, though, right? Like, your black no. stick would just rather have Sepulchre Ghoul 10 out of 10 times. You want your cheap death touchers to block, not attack. Yes. Next up is Lurking Roper. This is two and a green for a four five. This card is huge. So it has a drawback of it doesn't untap during your controller's untap step and only untaps when you gain life. But it comes into play untapped. Play a three mana four five blocker. That is one of the best ways for green decks to get to their top end because it just holds the ground so well. And there's also just a lot of ways to gain life in green, self-contained, you know, not even green-white. It looks like a green-white gold card, but I think it's just a great green card. You can have uh, the four mana. There's a three and a green, three, three that either ETBs to give something plus two, plus two or gain three. That's a great way to untap it on a super solid curve. The Hill Giant Herd Gorger untaps it. I've just been super impressed with Lurking Roper. Yeah, not to mention your dungeons can untap it, right? Third third level of Lost Mine of Fandelver lets you have your opponent lose a life and you gain a life. So that's a way to untap this. Or, or Mad Mage, first chapter, yeah. Yeah, or but you would also just play a three mana four five with Defender in this format. Yes, I, stats are king in the format, and this is raw stats, baby. For sure. We've talked a lot about Price of Loyalty. That's the steal your opponent's creature if you use a treasure to cast it then it gets plus two plus oh until end of turn it gains haste um but the steel and sack stuff is real there are a lot of sack outlets a lot of free sack outlets um red black just gets to play a lot of different strategies and i think they're all really strong right i think you want to make sure the first price of loyalty wheels before you go all in but once you're doing the thing you're very willing to pick price of loyalties in the first eight picks yep and lastly, just a quick rare to talk about here. Teleportation Circle, I think, is very strong in the format. It's three and a white for an enchantment. And at the end of your turn, you get a blink, an artifact, or a creature you control. There's a lot of stuff that goes along with this in white. And I think its best home is black-white. I think that's where there's the most ETB stuff, but just very powerful in the format. Oftentimes, it's your own personal howling mind to let you draw an extra card, you know, in tandem with Priest of Ancient Lore, which is the two and a white two one that ETBs draw a card, gain a life, just things like that, or venturing every turn with it. There's just so many things to do. And it also blanks your opponent's enchantment removal, like claustrophobia, etc. It's just very strong. Yeah, for sure. Or, or you're just like, this is your way to win with the three mana two, three in black that ETBs and drains to. Um, that's definitely a way, a way to win a game of magic. I agree. Teleportation circle is a really strong build around. All right. I think that takes us into re-ranking the top commons. You ready? I am ready. All right. What's going on in white? In white, number one, we've got Steadfast Paladin. This is one in a white for the 2-2 lifelink. Has moved up the rankings, I think, largely based on the aggressive nature of the format right now. This card is a problem on the other side of the battlefield, and it feels great when you have it on your side of the battlefield. I just consistently like this card, and I think two drops are at a premium. You have to affect yep. the board on two, and this is one of the best ways to do it. This is feeling aggressive enough, like Ixalan and Bishop Soldier was king there, and I think Steadfast Paladin is one of the best commons in the whole set. Number two, we have, I think, met in the middle here a little bit. Priest of Ancient Lore. This is two and a white for the 2-1 ETBs. You draw a card, gain a life. I think I was too low on this, and I think maybe you were slightly too high on this and i think i would put it at like c plus level right now like it's good but again i think just tacking on draw a card to you know low statted creatures if stats are king a three mana two one's not getting the job done that much but this card is good yeah it's not a 
pull into white, I don't think. I, I agree right. with C plus, but it's very good in a lot of the white decks. And it's I think I might be higher on the next card than you. I, we've got Minimus Containment at number three. This is two and a white, enchant an online permanent, and it turns it into a treasure token. I have liked Minimus Containment quite a bit. It's awkward in that, or just something to be aware of, I guess, because I had it shortcut in my head as Oblivion Ring. If you blow up your opponent's Oblivion, or if you, if you blow up your opponent's Minimus Containment, they don't have an Oblivion Ring. If you blow up their Minimus Containment, you don't get an ETB trigger. So like I was planning on that one time and it didn't happen and I was very confused and lost the game because of it. So like the it just turns it into a treasure. It's not re-entering the battlefield. And so you can also feel safe, I think, minimus containmenting your opponents enter the battlefield triggers. Well, the, the flip side of that is because it's not O-ring, then your thing has haste, right? So if you blow up the thing, then you get to attack with it that turn if you want. Yes, have also lost a game to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I, I mean, I think there are some people out there who think the downside of minimalist containment is too high, right? It ramps your opponent or fixes them or whatever, like that them getting a treasure is is too good. But I think minimus containment does is pretty strong in the format. I agree. I would want one to two minimus containment in every white deck. All right, moving on to blue. It's really tough, I think, to know what's going on with blue. <laughs> really I, I feel, tough. I feel pretty strongly that Soul Knife Spy is number one. And I agree completely. That's two in a blue for a three, two. When it deals combat damage to an opponent, you draw a card. And then beyond that, I'm not really sure. So if blue black is the best shell, I think shortcut seeker has a place there. Um, and maybe is our number two right now. So that's three in a blue for the two, five. When it deals damage to an opponent, uh, you venture the two, five just like really lines up well. And then if you're doing the, like putting thieves tools on it, whatever, then you can get your engine going. I feel like that's a bit hot takey at the moment, and I kind of like it. I don't see a lot of people talking about Shortcut Seeker, and I, I've been very impressed with it. And like Ginny is not really on our list right now, and maybe that's wrong. That's the four mana, three, three flyer, and then you roll a d20, uh, one through nine, scry one, 10 through 19, scry two, and nat 20, scry three. I, I don't know. Like Maybe if raw stats are king, the four mana, three, three flyer should be in this list somewhere, but I just have not really cared about that card, largely because it doesn't block very well. Right. It's a bad blocker and blue's not very good at being aggressive. It's in a weird place and it is a well-statted card. It's a good card and maybe it should be in the top commons. I, I just, I don't particularly care about the order because blue's so bad. <laughs> is that is that wrong? <laughs> well, I yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's like largely contextual or whatever. Like is number three, Charmed Sleep. Is number three, You Come to a River, which is a bounce spell. And I have, I definitely want to make sure that my blue-black decks have at least one copy of that. Is it Air Cult Elemental, which I also want my blue-black decks to have a copy of? I don't know. And maybe and maybe we're shortchanging blue enough. Yeah, like, I haven't played enough blue-green or blue-white to know yet, but I don't. I have not found blue to be that impressive. Yes, I agree. Moving on to black. In the number one slot, we've got Grim Bounty. That's the two black-black destroy a creature or a planeswalker, question mark? Yeah. And make a treasure token. It's a really, really strong card. Uh, I think we still have number two, Precipitous Drop, two and a black enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, you venture. Creature gets minus two, minus two. If you've completed a dungeon, though, it gets minus five, minus five. Yeah, I've been very impressed with Precipitous Drop. Yeah. And in the number three slot, we've got Yuan T Fangblade. This is two and a black for the two, two with death touch. And whenever it attacks and deals combat damage to a player, you get to venture into the dungeon. And I, I think maybe number three... Should be Sepulchre Ghoul. Maybe it's honorable mention. I don't know. But this is the one of the black 2-1. You can sack a creature to give it plus 2, plus 2 until end of turn, but you can only do it once per turn. It's like a really important piece to the red-black deck, and I think is not as important to the other decks. Like, I think a lot of other decks might even want whatever. What is the one in a black 1-3 when it connects? Horde Robber, baby. Yeah, like, so I think as a lot of these are, I think once you get to number three, it's contextual. So keep that in mind. Um, but I, I, I've liked Wanti quite a bit. Yeah, I think Sepulchre Ghoul is definitely the primo one for red black. I think Horde Robber is the primo two for blue black and mm -hmm. also good in red black. And then Yuanti's just a solid card, right? It's just generically good. Three mana, two, two death touch that can threaten things on attacks and, you know, trade with your opponent's hill giant herd gorger or whatever. It just does a lot. Yeah. Moving on to red. What do we got going on there? Uh, well, number one, still dragon's fire and probably the best common in the set that I think some people are just like, there's too much text, so I'm not going to read it. Maybe it looks like that other dragon's card that we had in, uh, in Strixhaven that was terrible. Um, but this is one in red, deals three. Uh, but if you have a dragon in play or a dragon in hand, you can reveal it. And instead you deal damage uh, equal to that creature's power but that's really just like not happening that much you're not playing that many dragons no i have been vastly underwhelmed by the dragons i think the red dragon is very good the white dragon is good 
The seven mana dragons have not done it for me, nor has the green dragon. You would just rather have hill giant herd gorger as your six drop 10 out of 10 times. Yes, 100%. Yeah, so that's number one. Number two, of course, got Hobgoblin Captain. We've sung its praises all episode. I think it's honestly like awkwardly close in Red White Beatdown. I think it's Dragon's Fire, but it's closer than you would think. Yes. Well, because I mean, threats greater than answers in aggro decks, especially. Yeah, I, I, I could definitely see it being number one. And then the number three slot, we've got Valor Singer. This is two in a red for the two, three. At the beginning of combat on your turn, you can give a creature plus one, plus O oh until end of turn. I don't know necessarily what the third best red common is. Like it could be that. It could be improvised weaponry, which is the two in a red deal to make a treasure could be Ferida's Fireball, which is a three red red instant deal five to something. And when you roll, you know, that at the top of a curve, you know, pushing two damage definitely on your opponent has felt good. That is better than a lot of the five mana red removal spells we've seen in past formats. I think we often write that off as clunky. And I think Ferida's Fireball is a cut above those. So I, I, I do like mentioning it in this mix as well. Yes, I agree completely. And I, I think, again, it's contextual there. So I think be willing to be flexible on what you think the third best common in red is. And honestly, if you're in drafting red black sack, you know, you're picking price of loyalty as the third best red common. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that could definitely be true. What's going on in green? In green, in the number one slot, we've got Owlbear. It's the three GG for the four four with Trample. And when it ETBs, you draw a card. Card is a house if you get to that point. I think, you know, you've got to do some work on turns two, three, and four to make sure you hit your land drops and make sure you don't die. But if you get to the point where you're playing Owlbear and chaining them together, feels very impressive. Yeah. Uh, number two, we've got Spoils of the Hunt. This is the removal spell, two in a green uh, instant. If uh, you use treasure to cast it for each treasure, the creature gets plus one, plus oh, and then it's a, a bite spell, as it were. So it, uh, you target creature you control deals damage equal to its power to target creature you don't control. I think this is good, but also you got to pick your spots. I have definitely blown people out who are casting Spoils of the Hunt into open mana. Yes, for sure. I keep wanting this card to be Ambuscade because it says plus one, plus oh at the top of the card. Yeah. <laughs> I have punted a couple times already with that so be aware that you got to spend treasure to get the power boost yeah uh and then in the number three slot we've got hill giant herd gorger that's the four gg for the seven six when etbs you gain three life yeah absolute house gaining the life is really good this just does stop some aggro decks in their tracks yeah for sure and i think honorable mention to the basilisk that's played out very well yeah it's tough right so i think basilisk is like really good the more of the like spoils of the hunts you're getting so underdark basilisk is the one in a green one two death touch and i think it just sort of depends on what your flavors of you know green are like are you doing more of a green black grind thing then i think you want basilisk more i think red green wants null hunter more so again it's contextual yeah, but both of those cards have been impressive. So that's it. Any other uh, any other like big picture things or, or summary things before we wrap up the episode? I think if you are struggling in the format at all, you should start to play more creatures lower on your curve that have efficient stats. I think for me, the the thought of the format, like if you want it summarized in one thing, it's stats are king right now. That would be my description of the format for anyone that is struggling. Put stats in your deck that are efficiently costed, play some removal, get back to good old fashioned magic. Yeah. And I think, you know, we, we've often said in these episodes for formats, like this is a format where two drops matter, but the two drops are bad. The two drops are not bad in this format. The two drops are largely pretty darn good across, I would say, all five colors, um, I guess, except for blue that doesn't really get to play. Uh, it's got like the two one with dice rolling, but you don't really care about that. But uh, other than blue, I think the four other colors get to, to, to do that. And so I think you want to prioritize those two drops still, but you do get your choice of them. Yeah, I think the other thing I would say about the format is right now the format feels very fast and very aggressive. And I think you need to, if you're planning to not be aggressive, you need to have a concerted plan for how to deal with your opponents being aggressive with cards like Hobgoblin Captain. Like you, you can't just put some blockers in your deck and plan to do that. You need the right mix of removal and right statted creatures. And I am very excited to explore that part of the format. Like I think there's going to be room there, especially once people start to contest the aggressive cards a little bit. So I'm also very curious to see how the format evolves. 
and I, what cards you're going to be doing, using, and what cards, you know, end up overperforming. You know, maybe a card like Shortcut Seeker ends up being really good for blue because it blocks Hobgoblin Captains. And I, I don't know. I'm curious. I think there is room for the format to breathe and grow. I think so, too. Yeah, it's it's been four days. And I think a lot of people are quick to pass judgment. I think myself included. I am, you know, wary of this format's longevity. But I also think best of one versus best of three might switch that up, too. Like, I think, you know, once, once we reach Mythic and switch over to best of three for a little bit, maybe things aren't so hyper aggressive as best of one sort of juices that a little bit. Right. I, that's important to note that we have been playing exclusively best of one. And honestly, this will be the first format where I think once I'm mythic, I will probably only be playing best of three because I think there is sweet yeah, stuff to right. do. And I, I, yeah, <laughs> right. Famous last words. I don't buy it for a second. I want to do sweet stuff over in best of three. Yeah, can confirm. There's sweet stuff to be had in the format for sure. All right, great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you so much to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to CFB for any and all purchases, uh, also remember you can sign up for the AFR Party, AFRparty.com being hosted by CFB. If you're signing up for CFB Pro to read our articles, any and all things you're doing over there, please use code LOL when you check out to let them know we sent you there. Uh, you can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're both on Twitter under those same usernames, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. Get on that CFB Extra newsletter as well. Yeah, baby, that's free. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. Okay, I have to tell you a quick story and you can put this at the end of the episode as our outro. <laughs> was, okay, great. I was streaming last night and somebody came in at the beginning of the game and was like, hey, not ghosting, but really excited to be be playing against a streamer. And I was like, okay, cool, a little weird. And then came in afterwards after stomping me and was like, hey, GG's, like Insta coming in the channel. And I was like, you know, like, I don't really think you were ghosting, but just FYI, like, not all streamers are going to handle this as well as I did. And you should probably, you know, for what it's worth, like you should just wait till the end to come in and was like, well, just for your advice, you should try being some competition next time. Later. Wow. <laughs> deuces and <laughs> left. But the mic drop moment was excellent. That is a savage mic drop. I can't believe you're retelling that story. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> That's really good.